we've been talking a lot about suffering the last few weeks. And this week we come to sort of a, a, a bright, shining promise in the Bible, a famous passage of the Bible. It's one of the most beloved and misunderstood verses in the Bible. Uh, Romans 8.28 is in our passage. I'll just read that one verse real quick. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's a great verse. That's a coffee mug kind of verse. One of those Christian mugs with a verse printed on it, or a t-shirt kind of verse. We're going to look at it more closely this morning uh, after we read it and pray together. This is actually the third time I have preached this passage. And you guys are like, really? I should have remembered that. But that's okay because it's so deep and it's so profound. Uh, as I studied and prepared, I realized that I'm just still just barely really coming to understand the implications of this passage. So if you would, I'll ask you to stand if you're able as we honor the reading of God's word. And we'll read Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise that it will not go forth without accomplishing its purposes. May that be the case this morning as we just spend some time meditating on your word, listening to your voice. May it accomplish its purposes in our hearts and in our lives. Help me to, to uh, disappear and very simply and clearly explain what's here in your word. May the, the power of it change us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So this is an awesome promise. Christian, you who have given your life to Jesus Christ, you who trust in him for your righteousness, you who know that your good works are not going to earn your acceptance with God, but you trust in Jesus and who acknowledge him as your Lord, who follow Jesus. Christians, this promise is for you. All things work together for good for you. Isn't that great? Isn't that a really good promise? It is. But I mentioned earlier that I think it's one of the most misunderstood promises in the Bible as well. But relax. It's actually better. It's much better than most people realize, than most people think. So let's just pick it apart and look at this promise. All things work together for good. What's under that umbrella of all things? Everything. Big things, small things, good things, bad things. The, uh, the orbit of the planets, the path of the ant, the splinter in your finger, and um, the loss of someone that you love very, very deeply. The best, brightest moments in your life and the darkest, hardest, gloomiest moments of your life. This promise covers it all. That it all will work together 
for good. So don't misunderstand what the Bible's saying. It's not saying that those things, those dark, gloomy, terrible things are actually good things in disguise. Some things are just bad. Some things are just bad things. So you who have experienced horrible suffering, you might be thinking, I wish this skinny little kid would shut up because he doesn't understand what I've been through. And you're right, I probably don't. But don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that that horror or that loss or that pain is actually good in of itself. Some things are bad things. Remember the three J's? Job, Joseph, and Jesus, all the bad things that happened to them. Job lost his family, his livelihood, his health. Those were three bad things. But God used all that along with everything else in Job's life for his good. Joseph, his brothers hated him. They tried to kill him. They sold him into slavery. Um, He was falsely accused of attempted rape, imprisoned, forgotten. Those are all bad things. They're not good things in disguise. They're bad things. We live in a sin-wrecked world where we get sick and we die or where we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. And those things are bad. But the promise is God will work all those things together. He's composing all those, those messed up notes into a beautiful symphony that's going to be good. That's the promise. But there's another catch, which is how do you define good? Think about that for just a second. How do you define good? The promise is that all things will work together for good. But what is good? Your definition of good might be different than my definition of good. My children's definition of good is definitely different than my definition of good. Lillian, I was getting ready, heading out the door this morning, and Lillian came stumbling through the house. She just woke up, you know, creases from her sheets all over her face, sleepy, hugging her little uh, bunny rabbit. And the first, you know, the first thing she said to me was, I want candy. First words out of her mouth this morning. So to her this morning, her definition of good would have been me saying, sure, here, candy, eat it up. I got to go to work, trying to choke, I'll be back. But my definition of good was different. I thought, no, you should probably have some real food. Her definition of good doesn't take into account nutrition or health. Her definition of good is simply what tastes good right now. So we have to acknowledge that our definition of good might be a lot different than what God's definition of good is for us. But luckily, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He tells us um, what his definition of good is. And I think it is something that's a little bit beyond our understanding. Just like Lillian doesn't understand all the ins and outs of nutrition and things of that nature. He tells us what his definition of good is. Let's read it. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then he explains kind of what he's talking about. He says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. I believe what Paul is referring to as good is us being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Us being molded to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Like a sculptor with his chisel. My mind blanks out sometimes on me up here. You know, chipping away all the things that don't look like Jesus until we look like Jesus. And it may be painful, 
But he wants that more than he wants our temporary comforts. I mean, I want Lillian to have candy. I like for her to have things she likes. But I know that there's a higher good, a better good. God wants the best for us. And that's being molded to look like Jesus. So first I want to prove to you why it has to mean that. And it cannot mean circumstantial good. It cannot mean that God wants you to have a healthy bank account. And it cannot mean that he wants you to have good physical health. And it cannot mean that he wants you to have pleasant family relationships. And I'm going to prove to you why I believe that. First, it just this is what it says. He says everything works together for good, and then he explains what God's up to is conforming people to the image of Jesus. Secondly, just the context of Romans in general. We've been in Romans for a while. We're going to continue to be in Romans for a while, although we are going to take a break for the holidays, for Christmas. Um, the whole context of Romans is big stuff. Do you remember what we've talked about in Romans so far? It's big ideas. It's gospel, and it's salvation, and it's sin, and the, the damnation of all who are not in Christ, and it's wrath, and judgment, and it's um, you know, bringing together diverse types of people under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. And it would be so weird for, for Paul just to stop, screech to a halt, and say, and God's going to make sure you have all the little stuff you want. All the little particulars of your life are going to feel really good. It would just be really out of context for him to mean anything other than something that's associated with Jesus Christ. Uh, another reason I believe this is true, Paul is suffering while he writes this. Circumstantially, things are not good for Paul while he writes this. If you look at just one little bit later in chapter 9, verse 2, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. That doesn't sound like circumstantial good. He has great sorrow and unceasing anguish as he writes this book. If that's not enough, look at how he finishes this chapter. He goes on to talk about this great promise and this great hope that we have in God through Jesus Christ. And then he says this, this another famous passage um, in verse 35 of chapter 8. He says, uh, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And then he goes on, he says, no, nothing will separate us from Jesus Christ. But the assumption that we kind of miss in that verse is that there probably will be tribulation, and distress, and persecution, and famine, and nakedness, and danger, and sword. That probably is going to happen. But nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the good that God is trying to do in the world. So why is this important that I labor this point so much? I really, really don't want you standing on a false promise. Because when the suffering comes, it's going to knock you over. If you believe that God exists to make things good and comfortable and easy, you're going to be disillusioned very quickly. Some of you have gone through that. Some of you are going through that. I just th- This promise is too good to be misunderstood for something less than it is. And there are a lot of people, particularly the popular guys on TV, who get the promise wrong. And they tell you, no, if you have faith, you'll be healthy. If you have faith, you'll be prosperous. If you have faith, you'll drive that Cadillac. Well, no, you probably won't. And even if you do for a little bit, 
we all know we're going to get unhealthy and die at some point. Does that mean that our faith runs dry? No, it means that we live in a sin-wrecked world where things are hard right now. But God is working out something really good underneath all that. I heard one preacher give an illustration about a guy on a construction site. He had to get the job done, but his chain broke. He needed a chain. So he said, God, just, I have faith in you. I'm going to ask with faith, provide me a chain. He was working near the side of the road, and a truck came by. Tailgate was down. It went around the curve, and a chain flew off the back of the guy's truck. Landed right near the guy who prayed for the chain. Praise God, this worked out for his good. He got a chain. And that was the end of the illustration about how God will give you the neat little things that you ask for. But what about the guy driving the truck? Maybe God was actually working out for the guy driving the truck who lost his chain. Perseverance and patience. So what I'm saying is don't expect a chain to magically fly out of a truck when you need it. That's not mainly what God's about. He's about something deeper. Something more important. Now, why is this good? Why is being molded to look like Jesus good? Some of you are sitting here thinking, I don't care about that. Yeah, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm in financial trouble. Give me something practical. Give me something I can hang on to for today. Looking like Jesus doesn't mean anything to me. Let me tell you why this is a really good promise. When you look more like Jesus, it means that you're more engaged with God And you're more engaged with God's purpose. So Christian, you can know that all the things in your life are going to work together for your good. But you need to realize that your best, your biggest, your highest good is being molded to look like Jesus Christ. And that's good for you because it means you're more engaged with God and you're more engaged with God's purpose, which is what you're designed for. That's that's what you're designed for. Living by any other design is going to lead to misery. So, more engaged with God. Some of you still being honest have to admit that still doesn't sound like something you care about. You don't have a taste for that. While I'm talking about my kids, all my illustrations come from my children. Um, But this time I'll include Meredith too because she loves it when I do that. Include her in illustrations without telling her. Meredith is a really, really good cook. She can't do anything to me while I'm standing up here talking to you. She's a really, really good cook. Really good. It's something new and nutritious and awesome almost every night, it seems like. And I love it. It's good to me. But our children aren't always as enthusiastic about it as we are. Because all they want is toast with honey on it or candy or chicken nuggets or grilled cheese you know they have their limited range of what they're into so to them even though the reality of this dish in front of them is awesome you know it's not good to them now some of you are in that position i'm laying out in front of you something that is awesome god has done everything so that you can be in a close relationship with him but like my kids turn up their nose at an awesome dish of food you're like I don't want that. Some of you want the chicken nuggets of life. <laughs> you, you, want, you want to feel physically comfortable. You want to feel emotionally comfortable. You want to feel financially comfortable. 
God or no God, honestly, doesn't really matter to all of us in this room. So, this promise doesn't feel that great to everybody. Now, I want you to understand what a red flag that is. One of the first and primary works when you become a Christian is you get a new heart. You're like a new creation with a new heart. It's like a new taste buds for my kids. And you start to desire really what's good. And you stop desiring all the sinful things. And you start desiring all the holy good things. You stop desiring to live for yourself. You start desiring to live for God. So if that's you and this promise just hits you and there's just total numbness, it doesn't mean anything to you that you're going to be closer to God. It's a big red flag and I want you to really think about where you are with with Christ. Have you been made new by Jesus Christ? Because that's what this is all moving toward. All this passage we've been studying, God has done all this so that we can be sons and then in the end, remember Revelation 21, where he's with us like a father with his children. That's what we're all moving toward. So being molded to look more like Jesus means that we get more engaged with God. That's the two conditions of the promise. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We don't know that for those who are indifferent toward God, all things are working together for good. It's for those who love God. The second reason this is good is it gets you more engaged with God's purpose. And this is really key. This is what I'm really trying to get to in the sermon. I've got plenty of time. That's the second condition. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This is key. I think there's, there's basically three kinds of people in the room right now. And I don't know who's who. But there's three kinds of people in the room right now in regards to this. Maybe you're type number one. You are all about your purposes. Your life, your energy, your plans, your thinking, your desires are all in accord to your purposes. God doesn't factor in at all. The reason you're at work is because of your purposes. And they may be good things, you know, putting food on the table, survival. They may not be bad things. I don't think that you're all out dealing drugs and stuff. But you, you may need to admit to yourself that God doesn't really factor into your purposes. You're about your stuff, period. Maybe you're that type. I think that most of you are probably the second type. People who are all about their purposes, but you really want to include God in them. I think most of us fall into that category. We're all about our purposes, you know, our desires, our goals, our ambitions, our felt needs, but we really do want to include God in those purposes. I think that's most of us. Well, you, need, you really need to hear this passage. Reality and the Christian life is not about including God in our purposes. It's about God sweeping us up into his purpose. And they're very, very different. But it's subtle. Christianity is not about including God more in our purposes. It's about God sweeping us up into his purpose. I've read a good illustration that I'm going to rip off. Um, imagine, trying to help us think about this, imagine that you're really into movies, into film. You really like watching it, 
Does anybody here really in the movies and film like watching movies? Wow, this illustration is going to fall. Okay, there's a couple. Okay. Now imagine that you're, you're really, really into them, and you actually you want to get into the business. You want to get into making movies. So you try to figure out how to do it, and you think, it would be really great if I could work with Steven Spielberg. Does everybody know who Steven Spielberg is? Okay. Good. It would be great if I could work with Steven Spielberg. So you get to work. You try to make your own goodwill hunting. You, st- you start writing out your own, your own screenplay for a movie that stars you. And you start to get your cast together. You don't have a whole lot of people to work with. So you get your kids and your, your nephews and nieces and whoever you know, has some time. Uh, people that aren't working all the time. Maybe some folks you know that are retired. You, you dress your dog up for one of the parts. You, the only space you have available to work with is, let's say, I'll let you use the church fellowship hall. That's your studio. And then you write letters and you call and you email to Steven Spielberg and try to get him to come and take part in your movie. And that's your big plan to break into the film industry. How do you think that's going to go? How do you think that your friends are going to look at that plan? Everybody's going to think you're crazy. Steven Spielberg is not going to fly his personal helicopter or whatever over here to direct a movie filmed with your little flip camera starring you and your dog. It's not going to happen. A better route would be to try to get a small part in something Steven Spielberg's already doing. Try to go work on set. Move out there. Try to get involved with what he's already doing. Many of us are trying to live our Christian life like that first plan. We've got our ideas, we've got our plan, and we're trying to to pray and lobby for God to just come down and just help us with what we're doing. And that's not how it's meant to be. And that's probably why so many of us are so miserable all the time. See, God's already up to something big. And the great news is, he's invited us to participate in it. God's not some kind of a a TV show that we can turn on for inspiration or comfort when we want him. We can turn him off. He's the, the reality that we're all living in. He's the reality all of our TV shows are shadows of. He's not a pill to pop to soothe our anxieties and our depression. So we can continue our business. He is the business that we're to be continuing. Our anxiety, depression, that stuff's going to evaporate along the way. And the church, I've thought of a lot of analogies this week as I've been thinking about this. Some of us treat church the way we treat iTunes. Again, maybe I'm way off on my illustrations. Who has iTunes? So I know who I'm hitting with this. iTunes is a program you download on your computer, and it works with the iPod. You've seen everybody with the white earbuds, headphones on. You download iTunes, and you pick and choose what you like because it's for you, your personal enjoyment. Some of you, you join a church and you think that it's, it's, your, it's your spiritual iTunes. You're going to pick and choose the music you like, music you don't like, the programs you like, the programs you don't like. But mainly you're going to go about your business, you're going to include it in your life as is convenient. But that's not what church is. Church is the gathering of believers who are swept up into God's purpose. This mindset could potentially kill Dolan's Grove. 
this should feel like, like this morning, you know, it feels good. We're together. We're a family in Christ. But you know what it should feel like? It should feel like halftime during the Super Bowl. And we're the team coming back together. And we're in this thing together. And we're coming together now to just kind of compare notes on how it's going out there as we're living according to God's purpose. And when we leave, we're back in the game. But some of you, you know, admit to yourself that when you leave here, you leave your Christianity. You come back for an hour a week. Christianity is not about trying to fit God into our purposes. It's about us fitting into God's purpose. And we'll be miserable as long as we get that backwards. This promise is for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, it's those who let go and lose their life that really find it. Those who cling to their life, their stuff, lose it. What purposes do we need to abandon so that we can get swept up into God's purpose? Which of our personal purposes do we need to let go of? So that we can be swept into God's purpose. And I want you to note, it's singular, it's purpose, not purposes. I love minimalistic, simple, clear, and God is that. He has one purpose that we're swept up into. And it is not. Before I say this, I have to make sure you understand Sometimes I feel like I'm preaching at you, but in my own mind, I'm actually preaching at myself. Because this is very much for me. But God's purpose is not to soothe our anxieties. God's purpose is not to soothe our depressions. God's purpose is not to sort out our financial trouble. God has one singular purpose. Now, all that stuff will Work out. He loves us. He doesn't want us to be miserable. But that's not his primary purpose. There's something bigger that we're meant to fit into. And all that stuff starts to work itself out as we get this straight. So what is this purpose I'm talking about? Uh, It shouldn't come as a surprise to you. But it's making disciples of all the nations. Yeah, I like to say we're a church of two loves and one mission. Love God, love people. Marry those two passions together in making disciples, connecting the people we love to the God that we love. That was Jesus' great commission. Go make disciples of all the nations. That's everything we've been talking about, is God gathering sons to himself. Developing disciples who will develop disciples. And I want you to see who does it. Look back at the bottom half of this verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So whose purpose is it? God's. Whose power is it? God's. Who does it? God. It's his purpose, his power, our participation. This is, this is what we're meant to be swept up into. It's like a, um, a kid going to work with his dad or going shopping with his mom. Any moms take their kids shopping with them? 
I'm trying to make you raise your hands so your blood will get flowing and everybody will wake up. Okay. Are they usually there for the same purpose you're there for? No, they've got a billion ideas of what would be great. Grab this, grab that, run over here, knock this over. If they could just get in line with the real purpose you're in that store for, it would be better for everybody. And it's the same thing for us. There's so much turmoil and so much friction. If we could just get in line with the real purpose for what we're here for, things would start to go a lot more smoothly. So I'm going to round this thing out here. Christian, all things work together for your good. They do. They are right now. The things you're into right now are working together for your good. But your good may not be what you expect. It's so that you start to look more like Jesus Christ, more in love with God, more engaged with God's purpose to make disciples of the nations.